Okay, Genesis chapter 40 uh, this evening. Genesis chapter 40. <coughs> Genesis chapter 40, and we're going to read from verse 1 as we begin. Genesis 40, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in ward. Let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here this evening. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray this evening, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would help us to come with hearts that are prepared to receive your word. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us, you instruct us, you would bless and refresh us by your word. Lord, I pray that you would empower me now through the spirit, you would give me wisdom as I speak, that it would be your words this evening, your thoughts. And Lord, I pray that as we leave this evening, we'd be left singing your praises and giving all glory to your name. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, of course, uh, when we were last in the book of Genesis, which seems like quite a, a long time ago now, it was back before Christmas, uh, when we last were in the book, book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 39, we saw Joseph thrown into prison for a crime that he didn't commit. Of course, Potiphar's wife had hounded him day after day, relentlessly, enticing him to commit adultery with her. And Joseph, uh, being the godly young man that he is, he continually, daily resisted that temptation. Until finally there was one day when he was alone and Potiphar, Potiphar's wife sorry, caught him uh, by the, the, the coat there and she tried to uh, tempt him to sin and of course he fled. He got out of there and as a result, because she was so angry at being humiliated, she accused him of rape. And so Joseph was thrown in the prison. He is there suffering for righteousness' sake. Now the psalmist described his suffering for us in Psalm 105 verse 18, we looked at this verse last time, it says, whose feet they hurt with fetters, he was laid in iron. And so his time in prison was not one of uh, joy and ease. It was a time of suffering. He was put in shackles when he first was thrown into prison. And yet, even though he was in prison, Joseph didn't lose his faith in God, did he? Joseph didn't become discouraged. He didn't become bitter at the world, bitter at God, become angry at everything. Instead, Joseph once more looked to the Lord in faith. He once more continued to trust in God, even in this situation, trusting that God was in control. And so he submitted to where the Lord had placed him in prison, and he served faithfully there, understanding that's where God would have him to be. And at the end of chapter 39, we learned that over time, because of his godly attitude, he was uh, prospered. God prospered him there in prison. And he became a witness to the, the keeper of the prison. Just read with me at the end of chapter 39, verse 21. It says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison commanded to Joseph, sorry, committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whosoever they, sorry, whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand 
because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. And so in time, because of his God, the attitude, the same thing happened that happened in Potiphar's house. He was exalted there in the prison. He was given more freedom. So you can imagine he was taken out of those shackles and given a little bit more freedom. His time there in prison became a little bit easier. And he was given responsibility. He was trusted. He was respected by the keeper of the prison. And as we come now to chapter 40 this evening, we find Joseph, he's still there in prison. And we see God begin to set things in motion now to bring him out of the prison. Okay, to bring him out of prison and exalt him to the palace, which of course is God's ultimate plan for Joseph's life. And this work begins with Joseph interpreting the dreams of two fellow prisoners. And so first of all here this evening, let's consider the prisoners. The prisoners. Look there in verse 1 with me again. It says, And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And so as the chapter begins, we're introduced to these two men who are now going to be thrown into prison. They're going to join Joseph in prison. And these are not just ordinary prisoners. These two men are officers of Pharaoh. They are officials within the king's courts. They're two of his most trusted officials, the chief butler and the chief baker. Now, these are very important positions within the king's court. The, the butler was essentially the king's cupbearer. Okay, so he was the one responsible for tasting the king's food and the, the king's drink to ensure that it wasn't poisoned. Okay, this is the, the role that Nehemiah had, isn't it, in King Artaxerxes' court. Just turn over to Nehemiah with me, chapter 1, just quickly. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11. <coughs> says, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servants and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. And then verse 1, chapter 2 says, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not before, been before time sad in his presence. And so this is the role that Nehemiah had. Okay? He was the king's cupbearer, the one that brought him the food and the drink, and of course the one who would taste test to make sure it wasn't poison. And you know, the fact that Nehemiah was Artaxerxes' um, cupbearer speaks of the fact that he trusted him. Okay? Artaxerxes trusted Nehemiah with his life. And see, the point is that the man who held this role in Pharaoh's courts was likewise trusted by the king. Okay, because he was the butler, this tells us that he's a trusted official. This is someone that Pharaoh trusts with his life. And it was often someone that he took into his confidence as well. He would tell him things. Okay, the the cupbearer had the, the ear of the king. One commentator wrote this, The king usually took his cupbearer into his confidence, seeking advice on very important matters. Another said this, Since he served in the very presence of Pharaoh, he was a powerful man, with access to the king's ear. And so he's not just a, a nobody. You know, we sort of think of butler, just you know, be quiet in the corner. No, he's actually a very important official within Pharaoh's court. He had the ear of 
the king. And not only, so you have the, the chief butler, but then you also have here the chief baker. And the chief baker, likewise, was a very trusted official. He was responsible for the, the preparation of all the king's food. So you've got the, the cupbearer, the butler, who brings it to the king. But of course, you've got the baker. He's the one preparing it all. He's making the king's food. He's the head of the kitchen, if you like. And so like the cupbearer, he had to be someone the king trusted with his life. Now, the commentator Getz writes this, the baker, likewise, was a very trusted man. He had the oversight of all food preparation. If anyone was going to try to poison the king, it would probably begin in the king's kitchen. Thus, no doubt the cupbearer and the baker were close friends and associates. If someone did slip poison into the king's food and drink, the cupbearer, unfortunately, would be first to discover it. He would be very dependent then on the baker to keep it from happening in the first place. And so the point is, these two were close associates. Okay, they worked together. They trusted each other as much as the king trusted them. And so these two trusted officials are the two that are now thrown into prison. And we're told in verse 1 that they're there because they offended their lord, the king of Egypt. They offended Pharaoh in some way, and as a result, they find themselves in the same prison as Joseph. You know, we're not told what it is that they are accused of, you know, what their crime is. And so we're left to speculate, and you know, reading commentators this week, many believe that it's possible that there was a plot against the king's life. You know, when you consider the fact that these two men are in these two really important roles, and their role involves protecting the king from being poisoned, the assumption is that perhaps there was a plot to poison the king. And it was uncovered, and these two were implicated in the plot. And so they're thrown into prison to establish their innocence or their guilt, okay, to await their trial, if you like. And the fact that the baker later on is executed tells us that they're in there not for some little trivial matter, okay? They're in there for a serious crime. They're accused of a serious crime, okay? And they're awaiting trial, if you like. But since they are high-ranking officials, they are afforded some comfort and some privilege even here in prison. And that's why in verse 4, we learn that the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them. It says in verse 4, And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in ward. Now the captain of the guard here is none other than Potiphar. Okay, go back to chapter 39 with me in verse 1. It says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard. And the Egyptian brought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And so Potiphar is the captain of the guard. And so he's the one mentioned here in chapter 40. That's the logical progression, logical assumption. That he is the one here who appoints Joseph, that charges Joseph uh, with these two new prisoners. And so, you know, it seems that Potiphar, he's looking for someone he can trust to care for these two prisoners. And so he thinks of Joseph. You know, this is yet another indication, isn't it, that Potiphar didn't believe his wife's accusations against Joseph. Okay? He didn't believe those accusations. And so now as he's looking for someone he could trust, someone he could trust to do as is required, he turns his attention to Joseph and he appoints him. He charges him with these two men. Now the phrase here, where it says in verse 4, and the captain of the guard charged Joseph 
with them. That phrase, charged Joseph with them, that doesn't mean that Joseph was put in charge of them. It doesn't mean that Joseph was uh, to watch over them. Okay, that's not the idea here. Rather, this speaks of him being appointed by Potiphar to wait upon them as a servant. That's what it's talking about. He was to wait upon them as a servant. The, the Hebrew phrase here literally means to set Joseph with them as a companion or servant, to wait upon them. You see, the idea is that because they were high officials, they're given special privilege, and so they're given a servant even while they're here in prison, and Joseph is appointed as their servant. Okay? He's appointed by Potiphar to serve these two fellow prisoners. And so he's a prisoner himself, and now he is appointed to serve these others, other prisoners. And you know, Joseph's response to this new appointment is once more commendable, isn't it? You know, he's in prison. Most of us would have been down. Most of us would have been sulking and complaining. But he's not done that, okay? He's faithfully served even here. And now he's appointed to be the servant of these two fellow prisoners. And yet Joseph once more responds by looking at this as an opportunity to serve God, doesn't he? Okay, he looks at this and he sees an opportunity to serve the Lord. He realizes that God is in control. And so we're not surprised, are we, to read in verse 4 there. It says, And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them. And what does he do? And he served them. We're not surprised to read that, are we? He served them. You see, Joseph, with grace and humility, accepts this appointment by Potiphar, the task that's given unto him, and he now serves these two men. For the, the time that they're in prison, he spends his whole time looking after them. He's essentially their personal servant. Now, on this one commentator wrote this. He said, Joseph had been unjustly enslaved, unjustly in prison, unjustly detained in this prison, and yet he declined not the work enjoined by his master. See, his attitude is commendable, isn't it? His attitude, his response to Potiphar, the one who put him there, to humbly say, yep, I'll do it, and he goes and does it without any uh, indication of complaining, any indication of murmuring. Now, truly, Joseph is an example of what it means to do everything to the glory of God. You know, Colossians 3, just turn over there with me, Colossians 3. <coughs> In Colossians 3 and verse 23, it says this, it says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Joseph understood this, didn't he? Whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men. He took this from the Lord. Joseph understood that God was in control. And therefore, without any hint of murmuring, any hint of complaining, Joseph once more submits to the situation he finds himself in, and he serves these two men. And in doing so, he's serving God, isn't he? He serves the Lord. You know, Potiphar may have been the one who made the appointments, but God was behind it all, wasn't he? You know, Potiphar made this appointment because it was God's divine will for Joseph's life. This was not a chance meeting, was it? You know, this wasn't just by chance. This was God's divine will for his life. You know, God was moving 
to bring Joseph out of prison into the palace. And it begins here with Joseph meeting these two fellow prisoners and more than that, serving these two fellow prisoners. And it's also he could be there and interpret their dreams. And that's our second point this evening. We see now the dreams. We've talked about the prisoners. Let's look now at the dreams. At the end of verse 4 there, it says, And they continued a season in ward, and they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream, in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of them. Of it, sorry. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me. And it goes on. We'll read the rest of the dreams in the minutes. You know, here we begin to see why God brought these two men into his life. There was a purpose to it. It was for this purpose, to interpret their dreams. And it's clear from the end of verse 4 that Joseph has been doing this for some time now. He has been their attendant, their personal servant in prison for a considerable period of time, not just a couple of days. It says that at the end of verse 4, it says, And they continued a season in ward. The word season there means many days. Okay, and we're not sure exactly how many days, but it's the idea of lots of days. Okay, and, and most commentators suggest up to even a year okay, that he's been doing this now. And throughout, throughout these days, these months, possibly even a year, Joseph has been faithfully serving these two men. He's been getting to know them. Until finally one night, these men have dreams which leave them in great distress. And we see that there in verse 5. It says, And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. So they both now have these dreams in the same night. And immediately we can see that this is of the Lord, can't we? You know, it's not a coincidence that they both have a dream on the same night, and they both have dreams that are very similar and leave them both in distress. Okay, it's not a coincidence. This is of the Lord. And they themselves knew that something was up. They knew that there was something to these dreams. What the commentator gets writes this, the context of each dream was so related to each man's vocation and so similar in certain respects that they knew what had happened was not just a bizarre manifestation of their subconscious anxiety and fear. This is not just a, a bizarre coincidence that took place. And they understood this. They understood that these dreams were important and that's why in the morning they're so anxious when Joseph comes in. That's why they're anxious. And we're told that in verse 6 there it says that Joseph comes in and he looked upon them and behold, they were sad. Joseph comes in and he notices the difference in these men. He notices that they look sorrowful, dejected, uneasy. There's something wrong. Well, what does Joseph do? Joseph, in verse 7, we read his response. It says, And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore 
look ye so sadly today? Isn't that wonderful? Joseph's response, he's serving these two men, remember, and he's been in prison for longer than them. But Joseph notices that something's up and his response immediately is to say, what's, what's wrong? What's causing you distress? He inquires why they are sad, why they are distressed. And you know, he's not simply asking here to be polite, is he? He's not asking just to be polite. Joseph is genuinely concerned for them. He's genuinely concerned for them. You know, as I was thinking about it this week, you know, most of us in a similar situation, if we'd been in prison for the amount of time Joseph has been, and we'd suffered everything else before that, most of us would be so full of anger, so full of bitterness at all that had happened to us, that we wouldn't have noticed anyone else's problems, would we? Or had any concern for their problems. We wouldn't have even noticed their sorrow, let alone offered to help. You see, Joseph here, this godly young man, sees that these two men are in distress, and immediately Joseph inquires after the reason that they're sad. He shows his love, doesn't he? His compassion, his concern for his fellow man. Gusick writes this, he says, This is a window into the heart of Joseph. Men who are consumed with anger and bitterness do not often take a concern for the personal problems of others. It would be easy for Joseph to think that because of all the wrong done against him, everything should center on his own feelings and hurts. Instead, he cared that the butler and the baker looked so sad one day. You see, it really is a window into his heart, isn't it? It's a window into his attitude throughout his whole, whole life, but throughout his time here in prison. We see this godly character. Joseph is not consumed with looking at himself and wallowing in self-pity. Joseph has accepted this is where God has placed him. He is now faithfully serving and he is looking upon the needs of others. He shows a genuine concern for their need, for their problem. You know, it's the principle that's taught to us in New Testament, Philippians 2, just turn over there. In Philippians 2, you know this verse well, verse 4, it says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And it goes on, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul instructs the Philippians here, Tells them not to look on their own things, but to look on the things of others. In other words, not to be consumed with self. Looking always at ourselves and our own problems, our own concerns. Look instead up and be concerned for others. Not be filled with selfish ambition. Show concern for others and the problems of others, the needs of others. You know, Romans 12 verse 15 likewise says, Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Now, Christian love means putting others before ourselves, doesn't it? And we, we sing that song about joy, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Putting others before ourselves. And Joseph, he, he clearly demonstrates that Christian love, doesn't he? That godly love and that concern for others. And he could do it because he had a right attitude to his situation, couldn't he? You know, that, that's why he could show this love and concern for others because he understood God was in control of his situation it was a terrible situation, but he committed it to the Lord 
And he said his eyes were upon the Lord and his eyes are looking at the needs of others. He showed love and concern. He reflects for us the attitude of our Savior, doesn't he? The Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 8, we see that as soon as Joseph learns the reason for their distress, what does he do? He points them to the Lord. Look there in verse 8, it says, And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. You know, Joseph, he comes in and he says, Why do you look so sad? They tell him the reason we've had these terrible dreams and we don't know what they mean. And what does he do? He points them to God as the answer. Now, one commentator noted this. He says that he directed, him, directed them wisely, learning that they were, tr- were troubled on account of dreams. He piously exhorted them to look to God for the desired interpretations. Another noted this. Joseph's response reflects his own growing relationship with God in the midst of difficulties, as well as his boldness in letting others, others now know what he believed. He's bold in telling them about his God, isn't he? And that's a wonderful thing to see that Joseph, he not only shows concern for them, a love for them, but immediately he points them to the only answer, God. And he's bold in saying, my God is the God who gives interpretations. My God knows the future. My God has the answer. You see, Joseph doesn't miss this opportunity, does he? To testify of his God, to give all glory to God before these two men. And that brings us now thirdly to the interpretations. We see now Joseph gives these men the interpretations of their dreams. You know, after hearing Joseph declare that God is the answer, the butler and the baker now both share their dreams with him. And Joseph gives them the interpretation as God reveals it unto him. In verse 9 to 11, we see the butler goes first, revealing his dream. It says in verse 9, And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph, and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me. And in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And so the butler goes first. He shares his dream. And in his dream, we, we know the story well. He sees a grapevine with these three branches that bud and blossom and bring forth these clusters of grapes. And he takes the grapes and he squeezes them into Pharaoh's cup, and he gives the cup unto Pharaoh. And upon hearing this dream, Joseph is given the interpretation by God. God tells him the answer. And Joseph responds, declaring that it means that within three days he will be restored under his position as butler. Verse 12, it says, And Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee under thy place, and thou shalt deliver... Uh, Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. And so Joseph here is given the interpretation and he tells the butler that he's going to be restored within three days. He gives him a definite time frame, doesn't he? He says within three days. And so this message can be tested, can't it? Okay, the Lord is making sure that it can be tested. This word from the Lord at the mouth of Joseph here. And the interpretation of the butler's dream is favorable, isn't it? 
Now you can imagine the butler, he's, his eyes lighten up and he's getting excited. Within three days, he's going to be out of prison. He's going to be back doing his old job, restored to his position, cleared of all wrong. And so he would have been delighted to hear this news. You know, in verse six, uh, 14 and 15, we see Joseph demonstrate his faith in the, the dream, that the dream will come to pass, his faith in God's word. Look there in verse 14, it says, But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. Now we see his faith here because Joseph, he says to the butler, he says, when this happens in three days' time, don't forget me. And so he's demonstrating his faith in God's word, isn't he? In the truth of what God has revealed unto him. And he asks the butler, to remember him when he is restored. And of course, we know he forgets him. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But we see Joseph's faith here, his belief that God's word will come to pass. And then in verse 16 and 17, we see the baker. He now goes and tells his dream. He, he's a bit emboldened now, if you like, by the fact the butler got such a good interpretation. He's emboldened. Maybe he'll get a good one as well. He'll get a good interpretation to his dream. In verse 16, it says, When the chief baker saw... That the interpretation was good. He said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream. And behold, I had three white ba uh, baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there was of all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh. And the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. Now he shares his dream. And in his dream, he sees three baskets on his head. And the top one is full of all kinds of uh, food, all kind of baked goods for Pharaoh. But before he can deliver it to Pharaoh, the birds swoop down and eat the food. You know, Joseph, as he hears the baker's dream, the Lord once more reveals to him the truth, reveals to him what this dream means. And Joseph, without any hesitation, without any delay, declares the truth, declares what it means. Verse 18 says, And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days, yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee, and shall hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh from off thee. You see, unlike the butler's dream, the baker's dream did not have a favorable meaning, did it? It didn't have a favorable meaning at all. Within three days, he was going to be executed by Pharaoh, and the birds would eat his flesh. You know, Joseph here, he demonstrates a faithfulness to the truth, doesn't he? Faithfulness to the truth. Because you see, even though the message for the baker was a difficult one, it wasn't what the baker wanted to hear, was it? But even, what, even though it was a difficult message, he didn't shy away from the truth. He didn't conceal the truth. Joseph boldly declared what God had revealed unto him, even if that message caused offense and hardship. Butler, the commentator Butler, writes this. He says, telling the butler his future was delightful, but relating the bad news to the baker took dedication and courage. Many would-be prophets flunk this test. Many like to preach grace, but few like to preach judgment. Many will readily preach positive things from the word, but few will declare the negative truths. However, the same Bible that tells us of heaven 
also tells us of hell. The same book that tells us of God's love also tells us of God's hatred. And the same gospel that comforts saints also condemns sinners. And so the point is we can't shy away from the truth, can we? We can't shy away from declaring the whole truth of God's word. We can't pick and choose which parts we're going to share with others. We must faithfully declare the whole counsel of God, declare his love, his grace, his mercy, but also declare God's hatred of sin and judgment to come. You know, Joseph here, he demonstrates that faithfulness to the truth, doesn't he? Faithfulness to the truth. Even though the message to the baker was not one he wanted to hear, Joseph still declared the truth in its fullness. In verse 20 to 22, we see that God's word was fulfilled. God's word was proven to be true. It says in verse 20, And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler, and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler and his butlership again. And he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. God's word was proven to be true, wasn't it? You know, the butler was restored, the baker was executed. And God was glorified. Why? Because Joseph was faithful in declaring the truth. You know, the butler in particular, when he went back to serving Pharaoh, he must have been amazed and impressed by the fact that Joseph had been able to declare such a, a, an accurate message and understand that it came from Joseph's God. He must have been impressed. He must have been amazed. But you know, in spite of this, he still forgot Joseph, didn't he? You know, perhaps he just got back into business, back into his duties, and just got so busy and so excited that he just forgot. Whatever the reason is, he forgets Joseph. He fails to keep his promise. Verse 23 says, Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. You know, there's a thing about this week, even though the butler forgot Joseph, God didn't. Yeah, the butler forgot him, but God didn't. And even in this, even in the butler's forgetfulness, this had a purpose, didn't it? This was, this was all part of God's design. It wasn't yet time for Joseph to come out of prison. It wasn't time for the butler to tell Pharaoh about Joseph. That's why he forgets. It's part of God's plan. It was not yet time for him to be released. That would not arrive for another two years. Two more years would go by. And only then would the butler remember Joseph. God's timing is always perfect, isn't it? And Joseph, he had to wait, he had to be patient yet again, waiting upon the Lord for God to bring him out of prison. You know, as we consider Joseph this evening in prison, you know, we see a man whose heart attitude was right before God, don't we? His heart was right before God. Even in prison, he is faithfully submitted to where God has placed him. And we see a man that even in prison, he is concerned about the needs of others. He's going through hardship himself, but he's looking at the needs of others. And in seeing their needs, he points them to the only answer, the Lord God. And finally, we see a man who is faithful and bold in speaking the truth. Now, beloved, may we be like Joseph. May we faithfully serve where God has placed us. You know, even when we're going through times of hardship, understand God's in control and get our eyes lifted up under him. And may we, like Joseph, 
have a burden for others. A burden for souls. At times we get too consumed with ourselves, don't we? And we miss what's happening on around us. The unsaved are going to hell. We lift our eyes up and see their need. Look for opportunities to point them to Christ, who is the answer. And when we have that opportunity, boldly speak the whole counsel of God. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words tonight. We thank you for Joseph. And Lord, what a, a wonderful, godly example he is unto us. Lord, may you help us, even when we're going through trials and afflictions of our own, to, Lord, give those over to you and lift our eyes up. And Lord, look upon the, the fields that are white in the harvest. Look upon the needs of others. And Lord, may you give us boldness to point them to you and to give them the truth of your word, the whole counsel of God. Lord, may you give us opportunities even this week uh, to be a witness unto those around us. Lord, bless as we close and as we depart from this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to sing.